It's the football, 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 and sometimes other sports show. Here's your host, AJ Nicoletti. What up? FFFSOSS.com. At FFFSOSS. Twitter and Instagram. Twitter.tv slash region. Three big pod on this Thursday. We're going to do a Champions League final preview. Man City going for the treble. Inter. The underdog going for a little, a little cup double of their own after uh, taking home Copa Italia. So we'll do that in the kickoff, a full preview. Uh, then we will recap that uh, Europa Conference League final breakdown and uh, react to some soccer transfer rumors along with some NFL headlines and like a final NBA finals. Big game three. Game three for the cup coming up tonight. And then at the end of the pod, I got a lot on golf. I left it for the end because some people don't care, so I left it for the end. So if you do care, if you're like, why didn't you open with golf? Well, we got a Champions League final on Saturday. I got a preview, okay? But the golf world flipped upside down. I've seen. It seems like we've done this a couple times with this sport the last, what, 18 months with either announcements or actual tournaments being played or now with the merge of the PIF, the World Tour, and the PGA Tour, which is – um, a joke to me. So we'll we'll definitely get to that stuff at the end of the pod. But first, of course, a Champions League final preview, soccer transfer rumors, NFL headlines, Stanley Cup final, NBA headlines, and then the golf at the end. Okay, kick off Champions League final preview. Istanbul is the site. Man City and Inter Milan are the teams. Man City, it's their second final. They're looking for their first title. And not only would it be a title for them in the competition that they have not won yet, it would go along with a Premier League title and an FA Cup title. And that would be a treble in England. It has not been done in a long time. Look back at that 98-99 Manchester United team. Now, for Inter, it's their sixth final. They won three of them. First appearance since 2010 when they won with Mourinho. And again, they are in search of that cup double after winning Coppa Italia. A gigantic final. Istanbul is the site and with so much on the line for really both these teams, but especially Man City going for the treble. The manager for City has experience with the treble. Pep Guardiola looking for his third Champions League overall and second treble as a manager. Both accolades came in his time at Barcelona. He did not win the Champions League at Bayern, but did win... Um, the Poco, and what are you winning? You win the Bundesliga, of course, yes. So that's what's on the line for both these sides. City looking for the title that eludes them in a city in a, in a season that would put them up in the conversation as greatest teams ever. You know, it, it would. It would if they capture this trophy that they have not been able to win yet. Okay, and then for Inter... A gigantic upset, it would um, solidify Inzaghi's what he's trying to do and what he's built at Inter since coming in there. And I think it'll be a very exciting final. I do. I believe Inter's style does make for a good game, even if they do sit back. Like, I do believe that their style makes for a good game and a game that will be entertaining. So with that, let's now talk about each team's path to the final. Start with the favorites, the Citizens. First in their group, Group G, 
They bashed Red Bull Leipzig in the round of 16. They knocked off Bayern Munich in the quarterfinals. Then they eliminated the defending champion, Real Madrid, in the semifinal. Inter Milan advanced out of a tough Group C. Came in second uh, following Bayern and knocked out Barcelona. Credit to them. In round 16, they played Porto. They only needed one goal to advance. Then they knocked out another Portuguese side in Benfica in the quarterfinal. And then in a, I mean, an awesome, awesome week and change there. What, seven days, six days, whatever it was between the matches. Eliminated AC Milan, their rival, in the semifinal. It's the first competitive meeting between Manchester City and Inter Milan. So with that, let's go to the team news. Ederson for Man City missed the FA Cup final. He played in the last Premier League game, but missed two before that. So he's only played one out of the last four, but he will be the keeper for Pep Guardiola. We know that. Ake missed out on the FA Cup final as well, but he has been in training. Akanji played in the FA Cup final, but missed training. But apparently, the only real concern for Pep Guardiola is Kyle Walker, who... Played in the FA Cup final, but missed training this week with uh, uh, picking up a knock in his back. So, seems like Walker is the only question mark for Pep Guardiola's and really entire squad because he'll have his keeper back. He'll have three, at least of the four, healthy choices he can make at that three-back, three-center-back position that he uh, lays out there. So, that's the team news for Man City. How about for Inter Milan? Mkhitaryan has a thigh issue, but he should be able to go. He's been rested. Skinner made the bench at the weekend in Serie A, but uh, it would be really interesting to me. You just throw him out there for his first start in a long time as against Holland in a Champions League final for everything, you know? So I don't really see Skinner getting into the 11. Maybe he gets in the squad, comes on as a sub to settle things down or something like that or change out a defender if they if they need to, but... I don't personally. I don't know how you just throw in a guy that's cold into a Champions League final. I don't know if that's really fair, especially what his matchup would be probably going up against Holland a ton. So that is the team news. How about the 11s? Predicted 11s. And again, we'll probably nail a lot of this, but we might be wrong in a couple points. But for City, Ederson will be the keeper. Ake Diaz Akanji. I'm gonna put. Walker in parentheses here and just say he'll be on the bench. I don't, I don't, you, you missed training before final. I don't think he played you. So AKD is a kanji. Stones and Roger will be in their little double pivot. And then across Grealish, Gunawan, De Bruyne, and Bernardo Silva could be Bernardo Silva's last match for the citizens. We'll see a lot of PSG talk about him. And then Holland will be the striker for city. So it's pretty much straightforward for city um, the injuries that they were kind of worried about for the FA Cup final, like De Bruyne and Silva, those guys played. Um, and it seems like he's got it settled enough on the back end, Pep Guardiola does. Now for Inter, Onana will be the keeper. Darmian, Aserbi, and Bastoni have been the three center backs. Skinner, again, is maybe the guy that could come in here, but I just don't I don't see <laughs> uh, Inzaghi just being like, you know what, you haven't played months? Champions League final, you're in. You're my guy. Like, I don't know. I don't think that would make sense. So, um, Darmian, Aserbi, and Bastoni. If I had to say one of the three would be out, it'd be Darmian and, for, and Skinner in for him. Wingbacks, Dumfries and DeMarco. Three-man kind of midfield in Barella, Kalangalu, and Mkhitaryan. If Mkhitaryan can't go, it'll be Brozovic, the Croatian. And 
I think it'll be uh, Lulau, Lalu, whatever you want to call him, Latoro Martinez and, and Romelu Lukaku. Because Lukaku, I've been on record. I still think he is the best striker to play when you're playing a three-at-the-back system. When he's in form, when he's motivated, when he is locked in to what you're asking him to do as a striker, I really think with his physicality, with his prowess attacking, with his skill set, with his uh, all the finishes he has in his locker, to me he's the best number nine that you could play in a three-at-the-back system. I, I still truly believe that when he's fit. So I think he would get the nod over Zeko, but I could see it. So the three really question marks for Inter is Skinner fit enough to play in the 11 is Mkhitaryan ready to go if not it'll be Brozovic who's coming off a goal on the weekend and then up front Martinez and who is it Lukaku is it Zeko and then for City really the only question mark is Diaz and who out of two out of these three Ake, Kanji and Walker and then really it's pretty much set up for City let's talk some tactics now Oftentimes, when we've talked about Man City not winning this competition or either not getting to a final or not advancing further or not winning a final like they did in, uh, against Chelsea, it's been Pep Guardiola overthinking and changing tactics and changing a player's position at kind of the last second and only doing a couple training sessions to be like, you got it, right? Well... To be fair to him, he started experimenting for these games and these systems that he's going to have to play. He started doing it really at the end of January into February, if I'm not mistaken, where he kind of just abandoned the 4-3-3 and said, no, I'm going to do this whole system. If you remember, there was a game where he had put the 11 out that Bernardo Silva was playing as left back. And that was really one of the first games where we were like, wait, he's not playing left back. He's still playing his normal position. And what is Stones doing in the midfield? And they're playing a 3-2-4-1. But so that's kind of one of the first games where we're like, what is Pep doing? And it was kind of like, oh, he's doing his theories, his thesis, his hypothesis, and he's letting it play out in the Prem or in Champions League games where he knows he can he can uh, outgun a team, right? So with this system, the 3-2-4-1, whatever you kind of want to call it, he's done the overthinking already. So now he just doesn't have to touch it. So will he be disciplined enough as a manager to say, okay, I have the system, I have the style, this is what we're going to Istanbul with, I'm not touching it. Or will he say, hey, maybe Inzaghi is preparing for this system and I just go back to 4-3-3 and they'll never know what hit him or something like that. So I would be still concerned if I'm a City fan about Pep because he is too smart for his own good a lot of the times and we've seen that whether that's in the final against Chelsea in this competition, whether it's losing in, in previous rounds in this competition and not getting to finals, um, we've seen him overthink big games and big decisions. So with this system, I feel like he's done it already and he's played it out already and he's seen where he has to make the little adjustments here and there for every match. So I, I have a feeling that he'll line up with this system and say, let's go. And if we lose, we lose, but I'm not going to touch it and tinker. So we'll see. I don't think he will, but we'll see. Inter-defending as a team is a really interesting concept to me because when you have two strikers and not just like a number 10 and a striker, but two out-and-out -out strikers in Latoro Martinez and Lukaku, 
one of them is going to have to actually defend, and the other one's also going to have to chip in. Because if you have two guys not defending against City, you're done, right? So we know that. So Inter defending as a team with Dumfries and DeMarco tucked in alongside that back three, uh, or even in a line of like three, five, two, whatever you kind of want to put it with the with Mkhitaryan, Kalangalu, and Barella. Barella is an excellent midfielder. I mean, Barella is one of my favorite midfielders on my team. So I think Barella is going to have a big impact in this game. And I wouldn't be shocked if he just if he just says Roger or Stones, you follow Barella around, and we'll figure it out. We'll do everything else, but you, we'll we'll figure it out. You just mark Barella. End of story. So. Flip it around, though. Inter defending as a team. Organization. Don't commit cheap fouls. We'll talk about set pieces in a second. You have to track the runners. Silva, Gunawan, Grilla. You have to track the runners. You have to communicate. And the longer City doesn't score, obviously it's the better for you. And they start not believing in themselves and doubting themselves and be like, we're never going to win this. You know what I mean? So Inter has to stay disciplined. Don't get the first yellow card. Don't do any fouls. Don't surround the referee. Just play. Just play and defend as a team. Holland first back three. This is really interesting because with Grealish, with Silva, you think Dumfries and DeMarco are going to be Locking them down. We'll talk about them next. But Holland versus Acerbi, Bastoni, Darmian. Bastoni is really the only one that I kind of trust going up one-on-one against him in a header situation or a defending situation or making a run situation. Like, Acerbi's had a really nice tournament. Darmian's had a really nice tournament with a turn back on the clock there. Bastoni is a stud. And I think that he's a guy that is going to do the lion's share of defending when it comes to Holland. Now, Holland, we really haven't had to see him score. It's been Agunawan. It's been De Bruyne. It's been some of their other guys stepping up for him in these moments where it hasn't just fallen on him to like, dude, we need a goal. You have to score it for us. This is why we brought you in. He's been playing his game even without getting goals. And sometimes that's hard for a striker. But... I think he will get chances. Will he put them away? Onana is a very athletic goalkeeper. I do think he will make a share of his saves. But it only takes really one good chance for Holland, and it could be 1-0, and that could be it. Like, if Inter don't score, it doesn't matter, right? So, limiting his chance. He's going to get chances. Of course he's going to get chances. He's the best striker in the world playing in probably the best team in the world. Of course he's going to get chances. Limit them. Make them tough. Don't just give them tap-ins, right? Now, Holland first, the back three, but then these wingbacks. Dumfries and DeMarco. I think Dumfries, to me, you know, Hakimi plays the position really well, but right wingbacks, I don't know if you start a list and you don't include Dumfries in your first couple that I don't think you know what you're talking about because Dumfries is excellent for me. I think he's a brilliant, brilliant player, the Dutchman. So him on the right side. DeMarco on the left side, who does get adventurous, who can score goals, who does cross it well. He might not get the big shine as much as Dumfries does. I don't think think that's fair necessarily. But those guys going up against the counterpart. DeMarco against Silva, Grealish against Dumfries. 
It's going to be a very, very interesting battle on both those sides. And then you bring in a De Bruyne and De Bruyne's role in the midfield versus a Kalangalu or a Mkhitaryan or a Barella, right? So the midfield, I think, is really, really interesting because there's just so many bodies in there when you look at it because you have Gunawan, De Bruyne, yes, Silva and Grealish come into the midfield, but they're instructed to stay wide normally. Then you have the back double pivot of Stones and Rodri, and then you look at the other side with three in the midfield lined up in Brozovic. Uh, in Brozovic. Brozovic might come in off the bench, but Mkhitaryan, Kalangalu, and Barella. Barella. Um, so how about Inter? Lukaku has to be the target man. He has to be the hold-up guy. If, the, if Inter go to relieve pressure and it comes out to him, He's got to find Lataro. He's got to find another midfielder. He's got to find another wing back or hold it up and get a foul because Inter are going to be soaking up pressure. They're going to be defending. They're going to have to sustain a bunch of city attacks and a couple close calls to win this game. It's not like they win this game 1-0, they have the ball the whole time, and that's it. No, 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 no. City is going to be in their end with the ball, creating chances, getting Holland up in the air against their center backs, uh, driving at wing backs with Grealish and Silva and, and trying to get penalties and stuff like that. So Lukaku, when he gets opportunities, he has to have more opportunities where he holds it up successfully, distributes it, earns a foul, whatever it is. Something He has to have more outcomes where it's positive than negative. And you'd be like, AJ, no duh. Point being, right, what I talk about, City, relentless, and they get their tap-in goals or they hit their big ones-off volleys and golosos, whatever, right? But if you have opportunities to relieve pressure, you have to relieve pressure. And if Lukaku only does that, I don't know, two out of six times it comes to him, two out of seven times, one out of six times, they're not going to be good. But if he holds it up, five out of eight times. Four out of six times. Like, that helps Inter tremendously. And I, it leads me to my last point here when we're talking about tactics before I get to a pick. Set pieces. De Bruyne is so good at set pieces. And they really haven't missed a ton of penalties. The last one they missed, Holland gave it to Gunawan for a hat trick. It was a mistake. It, obviously, Holland's got to take the penalties. We know that. But if you commit stupid fouls and you let De Bruyne put the ball down and nobody can defend him and he gets a little free set piece in there, more times than not, that's going to be a goal. He's going to find somebody's forehead. I mean, look at the FA Cup final. A brilliant corner delivered perfectly to Gunawan. Hits it on the volley goal. They go on to win, right? Now... So that's Inter. Inter cannot give up stupid set pieces to Kevin De Bruyne because Kevin De Bruyne is going to bury you. He's the best midfielder in the world. Now you flip it. Inter have been very good on offensive set pieces. Whether it's a Zeko, a Martinez, a Lukaku, one of their center backs, um, Mkhitaryan, Kalingalu, when it comes out on that second. It doesn't. Inter is good at set pieces. And that's an area where City can concede from. We've seen it. So, and honestly, when 
City has, you know, lost to Liverpool. They've also conceded some counterattack goals where City have had a free kick. Now, I could see that with Inter. You know, City corner gets deflected out to Lukaku. He plays one of the wing backs, and they play Martinez. He's in goal. You know, that's a way that could happen. So City will have to be careful on their own set pieces, of course. But set pieces, I could see deciding the match. Inter, stingy in open play. They give up some chances, but they don't concede from it. Give up a stupid foul to Bruyne, set piece, goal. You know, or going the other way, nil-nil. Rodri steps on somebody's ankle, set piece, goal. You know what I mean? So I think set pieces will be gigantic in this game. Now we go to a pick. And I don't care if I'm wrong. I'm not picking City. I don't care. I think it's going to be 1-1. I think it goes to extra time. I think it goes to penalties. And I think Inter wins in penalties. I think the pressure for Man City will get to them. They've won a league before. They've come from behind and won a league before. They've won an FA Cup before. They've won Carabao Cup. They haven't won this trophy. And I feel like when they would face adversity in this final, like they did in the Chelsea final, they could fight or flight flight again. So I'm picking Inter. I think... One of these Italian teams have to win the Euro final, right? Uh, I'm going to take Inter. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong in City. Congratulations. And I'll be the first one to send them congratulations on the pod next week. But I'm picking Inter. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Who cares? All right. Europa Conference League final. Florentino West Ham. We had incidents with both sets of supporters before the match, during the match, after the match. We're throwing cups and stuff. Like, what the hell are we doing, guys? Let's just, can we cut that out? West Ham winner 2-1. Ben Rama penalty got the scoring started in the second half. Bonaventura, instant equalizer for Florentina. It was 1-1 into the final moments of the game. 90th minute, Bowen uh, played in on a through ball. He beats the keeper. West Ham survive in stoppage time. And they lift their first major European trophy in 43 years for the Lions. Lions, Lions. So congratulations to the West Ham supporters, the Londoners, the Irons, the Hammers, whatever you want to call them. So congratulations to them. David Moyes, Declan Rice gets to lift the trophy probably before he leaves for Arsenal. So that's a nice little gesture on his way out. Now, you can say, AJ, is this a major European title? It is. Well, I, I will I will give them credit. If, you're, if Europe is a major European title, so is this. It's, it's, it has to be. So congratulations to the Irons, the Hammers. All right, soccer transfer rumors. This ain't a rumor. Messi, Inter-Miami, done deal. We had alluded to MLS could be an option for Messi, but it seemed like back to Barcelona or to Saudi Arabia to play for billions would have been his options and the better options, but is instead him coming to the States. He's coming to Inter-Miami, which is very, very exciting for MLS, which is very, very cool um, for the league. And... People should be excited. People should be excited in this in the U.S., in the U.S. soccer fandom, I guess you could say. So, Messi, Inter, Miami. He's coming. Liverpool, McAllister, that should be announced shortly, if not uh, already announced by the time you're listening to this pod. Pulisic expected to leave Chelsea. AC Milan could be a new home for the American. Brighton want 
the defender Colwell permanently from Chelsea. Chelsea probably not going to give him up, even though they're stacked at center back. That's for sure. Apparently, Spurs won Harry Maguire. Um, that would be an all-time Spurs move. Yeah, let's just get the guy that was one of the highest-paid transfers as a defender, flamed out, stunk, lost all confidence. Let's bring him into Tottenham. Yeah, that's the place where he'll get his confidence back. <sighs> uh, Bellingham deal agreed to in Real Madrid. And then also they're going to try to get Brahimi Diaz from AC Milan, who I'm pretty sure kissed the badge a few games ago, was like, I'm staying, I'm not going. Well, seems like he's going to Real Madrid. So Bellingham and Brahimi Diaz, the first of two in a summer of Galacticos, I'm sure, because they're going to get Havertz or somebody else to play striker for them, Harry Kane. Somebody's going to play striker for them. Uh, Zaha and Conte are going to go to the Saudi League, joining Benzema already. And Rafael Guerrero is going from Dortmund to Bayern. So that pipeline continues, which I don't know. I, I would be sick to my stomach if I was a Dortmund fan. <laughs> every every year they just take one of your better players and you're like, oh, well, that was fun. That was, that was a good time. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed having that guy on my team. Now he's going to my rival where the rival just won 11 straight titles in a row. So this is fun. Everyone's having fun, right? This is fun. So, all right. Um, that's the soccer transfer rumors. How about some NFL headlines? Derrick Henry is apparently not worried that the Titans might trade him, and the Titans also met with DeAndre Hopkins, the new free agent. So that's the first of, I'm sure, a few meetings that DeAndre Hopkins will take. Now, Derrick Henry being traded from Tennessee, I it would mean that Tennessee is really hitting the restart button with Will Levis. And what does that mean for Coach Rabel? Because I think he's a great coach. He's got to stick around, right? So, um... I don't know. I, I just it's it's quite interesting. I don't think they should trade him. I don't think trading him would be smart, but if they're looking to move on and not get a running back on a big contract soon, who knows? Jimmy G should be ready for Raiders camp, even with the foot issue, even with the waiver issue, he should be ready for camp. And he'll be the rated quarterback as we know. Now Ron Rivera in Washington, after all we've heard for what weeks and months now has been Sam Howell's QB one. Sam Howell's a starter. Doesn't really matter who you bring in. It's going to be Sam Howell, right? Ron Rivera is not committed to Sam Howell as a starter, apparently, <laughs> which that's a big change of tune. If I'm being honest, how about some Niners talk? Shanahan says Purdy is on schedule. Debo says that his 2022 was an awful season. They went to the NFC title game. I don't know if that's really fair. And Nick Bosa says that his deal should be done by training camp, his extension. So some good news there for the Niners. I don't really know what Debo's on, but hey, maybe he thought he was banged up, not playing well. Cooper Cup says he's feeling really good after ankle surgery. The Rams' top receiver, one of the best receivers in the game, if not the best receiver in the game, coming off that ankle injury where he was banged up and playing hurt and it really wasn't right that he was getting trotted out there game in game out chase young says he feels night and day difference with his knee i guess i should have kept this with the ron rivera talking said i copy pasted a couple stories in between anyway chase young night and day difference with his knee he understands the fifth year option thing that they're not going to pick it up he's going to have to play for it so i get it but um he's a guy that if he has a healthy year he can leave washington get a big big contract maybe for a contender 
another pass rusher making the waves uh, late in the week here. Vikings are getting calls about Danielle Hunter, who is a very good edge player, guy that makes some big plays. And, um, again, Minnesota sucks, and I, I don't like Minnesota. I, I don't like Kirk Cousins. So it's like a default that I don't like Minnesota. So I don't know. I don't really see them doing anything. Uh, no mini camp for the Jets. They're focused on training camp. So that's the story from Robert Sala. No relation to well. Stanley Cup final. Panthers and Golden Knights. The series shifts to Florida. Vegas up 2-0 after defending home ice game three tonight on Thursday. NBA finals game three. Nuggets win it in Miami. Denver takes a 2-1 series lead after the Game 3 victory. Tight first quarter, ended tied at 24 up. We had another close quarter in the second, but the Nugs edge out a 5-point lead at half. That's all they ended up needing. Murray had 20, Jokic had 16 at the break. Nugs break it open in the third quarter, double-digit lead. Then the lead balloons to 21 in the fourth. Heat finally got it back to 10 but only with 1.32 left on the clock. Jokic finishes with 32-21-10. First player in NBA Finals history with 30-20-10 game. Murray, a game-high 34. Heat look to turn around even the series before it goes back to Denver in Game 5. So Nuggets win Game 3. Uh, very good. Good second quarter into a very good third quarter into a solid fourth quarter. They let the Miami get back into it a little bit at the end there. Um, but Jokic is 10 triple-double. I mean, he's been outstanding. He's been outstanding. And Murray finishes with the game high 34, so he was scoring as well. So he do not get it done in game three on the home floor. Try to take that 2-1 lead. Now they'll have to... Try to even the series like they did in game two. They made it 1-1. They're trying to make it 2-2. They need a game four victory. Nuggets will take a commanding 3-1 series, uh, series lead back to Denver if they do win game four. All right, now we go to the golf. So the PGA, the DP World Tour, and the PIF merge. So it's not technically the Live, but it's the entity that created the Live now has a seat at the PGA table. Okay, Moynihan and Al Romani were on CNBC to announce it on what Tuesday morning there. So that's how this kind of just facilitated out how the news broke, how it was uh, received was that's how CNBC had both the guys on. Right. So um this was a Golf Channel graphic, which I have. I tweeted it. I sent it on Golf Channel. Maybe it was uh, Pat McAfee as well, right? So, PJ Tour, DP World Tour, and PIF combined commercial operations. Mission to unite the game of golf on a global basis. New collectively owned for-profit entity named to be determined. PIF will make capital investment into new entity to facilitate its growth. PGA Tour will remain as a 501c6 tax-exempt organization. PJ Tour Inc. retains administrative oversight of PJ Tour, including sanctions of events. Mutually agreed. End all pending litigation between the participating parties. Process to be established for players to reapply for PJ Tour or DP World Tour membership after the 2023 season. So that's a lot there to take in. Um, and again, we're still very, very early in all of this. 
Uh, nobody really knows where the game of golf is going. A lot of people are saying this is good or bad for golf. I'm not really sure. I just know, and we'll get to my thoughts in a minute and, and change here, but I, I just know it, it's it's bad in my opinion. It, it's not right what happens. So PGA Tour Policy Board Chairman Ed Hurley and board member Jimmy Dunn, they negotiated behind the scenes for seven weeks with the PIF. Jimmy Dunn was just brought on as a board member in November of last year. So, I don't know. Players had no clue. I don't think this is right. Uh, The commissioner had some really bad quotes as well. So, let's start with this one. Moynihan, quote, I recognize that people are going to call me a hypocrite. Anytime I say anything, I said with the information that I had at that moment, and I said it based on someone's trying to compete for the PGA Tour and our players. I accept those criticisms, but circumstances do change. I think in looking at the big picture and looking at it this way, that's what got us to this point. So there was a players-only meeting on Tuesday. Apparently, it was 90-10 negative response. Very toxic. Some tough um, exchanges there with some players. And then it continued into Wednesday where... This is not a good clip. I mean, I'm going to play it here. It's Moynihan on uh, Golf Channel, and I'll just let you hear it for yourself. Jay, the 9-11 Families United made a strong statement yesterday. They said you co-opted the 9-11 community in taking a moral stance against Liv. How would you respond to that group? Well, I, um, I read Terry's comments uh i i you know obviously acknowledge her loss and completely understand her position and to the question that you were just asking you know i wish i think about the fact that i allowed confidentiality to prevail here and in allowing confidentiality to prevail I did not communicate to very important constituents, including the families of 9-11. And I regret that. Uh, I I, I really do. Um, But as we sit here today, you know, I think think it's important to, you know, to reiterate that um, I feel like the move that we've made and, and how we move forward is in the best interests of our sport. We've eliminated those fractures. Um, but for, for any, uh, any difficulties I've caused on that front, again, I have to own that as well. And that comes back to communication. So a couple things here. Um, it wouldn't be a big of a deal with the 9-11 families and stuff if he didn't bring them into it last year. Basically saying to PGA Tour players and people players that have already left for living and live supporters that how can you support this unmoral? They financed terrorism and committed these acts and how can anyone look anyone with a straight face and not apply and all this stuff? And now he's taking the money from those constituents, right? So right off the bat, that's terrible. But number two, how does no one from the PR team coach him on how to answer this question? And you can be like, Asia, there is no answer. Hey, you're probably right, but he's got to go up there with something. To to basically just say, yeah, you know, I do acknowledge that those people died, but 
This is going to be really good for our game. Are you kidding me? That's what he said in fewer words, folks. I acknowledge the 9-11 families, dot, 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 but this is going to be better for our game. Well, why'd you bring them into it in the first place, Jay? Because if you just made this a business thing from the get-go, okay, it's a business thing. You got to take the money at the end of the day. We'll talk about it in a little bit, but it is what it is, right? Jay Moynihan and the PGA Tour made this a morality thing. And now he is got egg and pie and whatever you want to call it on his face. So he had an all-time bad answer. How about Bryson DeChambeau, another all-time bad quote? Basically asked on an interview about, hey, connection to 9-11, financing terrorism. How about the death of the Washington Post journalists? And here's what he said. Quote, I mean, look, it's unfortunate what has happened, but that is nothing I can necessarily speak on because I'm a golfer. What I can say is that what we're trying to do, what they're trying to work on is be better allies because we are allies with them. I'm not going to get into the politics of it. I'm not specialized in it. But what I can say is they're going to try, they're trying to do good for the world and showcase themselves in a light that hasn't been seen a while. Nobody is perfect, but we are all trying to improve in life, end quote. How do you go on TV with that, man? How do those words come out of your mouth? Nobody's perfect. <sighs> I mean, that's that's really bad. So we got we got some really bad quotes here and really bad answers and really bad optics and really bad negotiating and in bad faith behind players' backs that you declared this as the players tour and you go behind their backs with two of your board members, go to the, the, the side that you basically said is the enemy. This is war. We're battling here for the future of the game of golf. And instead, and, and they've tried to buy our players. We can't do that. You can't go over there. And then when they try to buy the tour and buy the commissioner, they say, uh, here's the number. Write the check out to cash. And I feel bad for my guy, Rory. And you'd be like, AJ, here you go again. You love Rory. We get it, but enough. No, not enough. Because I think he was told, hey, can you go be our guy in this? Tiger's hurt. He can't be out here every week to be the mouthpiece, to be the face for our, our tour. Can it be you? Can you be the guy that galvanizes everybody that – makes everybody stick around. Can you be the face for us? And he did it. And on Wednesday, he's got to sit there and be a sacrificial lamb. And I agree with him, what what he said. Now let's go through some of Rory's quotes. Quote, I still hate live. Like I hate live. I hope it goes away. And I would fully expect that it does. I think there's the distinction here that this is the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, and the PIF. Very different from live. End quote. So he's already doing a better job of explaining it than Jay Moynihan. And then he gets asked about Jay Moynihan. Do you have confidence in the commissioner? Quote, I do. And look, I've dealt with Jay a lot closer than a lot of those guys have. From where we are a couple of weeks ago to where we are today, 
I think the future of the PGA looks brighter as a whole, as an entity. Now, end quote. Now, I, I, I think that's tough. I think that's tough for him to say, and I don't think it's right that he had to say that. Um, also, quote, it's hard for me to not sit up here and feel somewhat like a sacrificial lamb and feel like I've put myself out there and this is what happens. And he's not wrong because he could have got a bunch load of money and six months, eight months, whatever, how many months down the line, he could have been like, oh, we're just going back to the PGA Tour, no big deal. And his point is this, quote, I told Jay, you have galvanized everyone against something, and now they are our partners. The Saudis want to spend money in golf, and it's not going to stop. How can we get that money into golf and use it the right way? It's hard to keep up with people who have more money than anyone else. And if it, that was the core of the issue, it was a, hey, 18 months ago, whatever it was, the Saudis have more money than we do. They're either going to steal all our players or eventually we're going to run out of money to pay our guys big money to compete. So we got to take the money now. If they just did that 18 months ago, I think it would be a lot more massaged. I think the optics would have been better, all these kind of things, right? But after you put up a stink for a year plus, after you get Mickelson being like, these guys are bad guys, They're, they've killed people, da da da, right? Now you take their money, and not only that, you become partners. And not only that, you were the commissioner that was instructing players not to take it and not to have them get bought, and then you got bought. You got bought, Mr. Commissioner. Last Rory quote. Quote, I think, ultimately, when I try to remove myself from the situation, I look at the bigger picture, and I look 10 years down the line, I think, ultimately, it's going to be good for the game of professional golf. I think it unifies and secures a financial future, end quote. Now, again, if that was the situation from the jump, and the 9-11 families never got involved, and it was never an us-first blood money thing, or where did they get this money, or all this kind of stuff, it would be much different. Because they could say, hey, listen, the way this goes down in 18 months, two years, 24 months, whatever it is, is they buy us out because we can't continue with the money we want to do to match them. So let's just do it this way now. I think if it was explained that way, it would have been a lot easier. But instead, the commissioner is taking money after telling the players to say not to not to. He said, players, do not do this. We have to unify as a PGA Tour. If you take the money, you're banned, da, 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 or all this stuff, right? Now he's taking the money. He made Rory the face of saving the tour and negotiated in the dark. And another thing I got a problem with, Phil Mickelson gloating. And again, if you are a Phil Mickelson fan, you got to look yourself in the mirror. Truly. His actions, his, his responses... His tweet, everything he does is a is some it's symptoms of someone that is unhinged. Okay, and everybody's like, he's a good. Remember when Phil was a good guy, and on M and A and on other shows, and even even R and A at Manhattan College, I say I don't like Phil. There's something about I don't like him. People are like, why do you not like Phil? Phil's the best. The thumbs up. I was right. Phil is a jerk. And if you're still rooting for him, you're a jerk too. I don't care. 
And again, people knowing nothing and being like, this is good for golf, that's another thing of my problems. The commissioner taking money and getting bought out when he told everybody not to get bought out, that's my number one problem. My number two problem is the commissioner putting Rory out there and it's the face of the tour and negotiating without him and negotiating without letting the players know what the hell is going on. Confident. I let confidentiality win. Shut up. The hell is wrong with you? You know what you should say that question is? I use those people, and I should not have. And for that, I am truly sorry. And I can only accept what I will get for that from my maker. That's what he should have said. I was wrong for using 9-11 and those families as a morality point in a business issue. That's what he should have said. Instead, he's like, well, you know, I understand where. No, you don't. No, you don't. And also, a lot of this, I, I guarantee you folks, with all this litigation and the fact that the PGA Tour is a charitable organization, and I'm sure their board members and their CEO and their commissioner, they make a nice salary that nobody blinks about because it's a charitable co- Please. So I think the litigation with the PGA Tour, they were spending so much money, they had no money to play their players, and they said, listen, we got to do something here. And they let the guys that they were fighting against have a seat at the table. And I think that's wrong. I don't think... It shouldn't just be about who has the most money. It really shouldn't be, but it is. That's uh, that's the unfortunate part. That's the unfortunate part. Because the tour, if they just said, hey, we're doing some elevated events, but listen, we cannot compete with them dollar for dollar, so we're not going to try to do that. But we're going to try to get you guys some more money. No, instead they did these elevated events. They made people sign up. They got more money and, and sold like their reserves against themselves, all this kind of stuff. And it was a terrible idea. And it backfired. And not only did it backfire in the business standpoint, but you used morality in your argument. And now you just look like a big hypocrite. And the fact that he says, what did he say? What did this clown say? I recognize that people are going to call me a hypocrite. That sentence should say, I recognize that people know I'm a hypocrite. And I have to do everything in my power to gain trust back from the regular golf fan. No. They don't admit fault. They don't say they're sorry. They just say, this is a groundbreaking entity in the world of golf. Why? Because you sold out too? So all that being said, we got the RBC Canadian Open this week, and I'm sure there's going to be plenty of focus on the golf and whoever wins that, and I'm sure next week there's just going to be a lot of focus on a U.S. Open and definitely not all the nonsense surrounding this sport now. And I am fired up about it, folks. Because I got news for you. There's a part of me that only wants to watch four majors and call it a, call it a quits with the, with the tour and professional golf. And there's part of me that I want Tiger and Rory to start their own tour and make a deal with the four majors and be like, hey, we're going to play where we can play, but we want to play in your tournaments. You got you got us? I mean, yeah, we got you. Because they're Tiger and Rory. And I just, I just think it's a really, really bad job by so many people. Bad actors. Negotiating in bad faith. Using morality in business terms. It really rubs you the wrong way. 
as a golf fan, as a human being, as a sports fan. Like, Saudi Arabia is just sports washing right in front of us. Like, here's the thing that really bothers me, folks. And you can be like, AJ, you're talking about golf. Who really cares? What if they said, okay, guys, do you know how much the PIF has? $600 billion. $600 billion. What's stopping them from buying the NBA? What's stopping them from going to every owner and being like, um, here's 1.2. Here's 3.4. Here's 1.1. Here's 4.6. Here's 2.2. What's stopping them from doing that? There's nothing now. I got news for you. They've done it in English football. They've done it in F1. They've done it in other sports. Now they've done it in golf. And Liv and that idiot Greg Norman who thinks it's a win for him and Phil Mickelson. No, it's a win for Saudi Arabia. It doesn't have to be a win for them. It's a win for the Saudis that get a seat at the table. Aramanan is the chairman of the of whatever this thing is going to be called now. This guy was the enemy of the PGA Tour. Now he's basically in charge. So that's... And if you tell me this is going to be good for the game, please, you don't have a clue. And listen, maybe it could be 10 years down the line, but I'm talking about right now. And the optics are horrendous. And what they did to Rory, to Billy Horschel, to Max Homa, to Jordan Spieth, to Justin Thomas, to all those guys that turned down money and became faces to say, we're going to stay here. It's, it's disgusting is what it is. It's disgusting what it is. And I don't know how any of them can sleep at night, look themselves in the mirror, or leave this planet with their with their with no life force. Whatever happened to us after this ends. Cause there's a special place for those guys that use tragedies and acts of war as morality debate points. So that's all I got there. Rory, J. Rose, Fitz, Lowry, Fleetwood, Hatton, Burns, the Gallus, Snedeker, Young, Kim. Good field at the RBC Canadian. So hopefully uh, it's a good tournament and people can focus on the golf. So I'm sure we'll be talking more about this uh, PIF, PGA Tour merger. A gigantic Champions League final, as we know, on Saturday. It will decide a lot to do in um, English football, European football, world football as we go forward. So big sports weekend. I'm sure we'll talk more golf next week with the more fallout from this but a Champions League final on Saturday. Hopefully the weather clears out for it and you can enjoy it. So have a great weekend, folks. Stay safe out there. Talk to you soon. Peace. That's the name of it? Guys, check out his podcast. That sounds like my kind of podcast. Football, 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 and sometimes other sports show. Sounds like me.